would, through our obedience and through the help of the Holy Spirit, work in our midst in such a way that we would be challenged to go out and live out these principles that God might once again work in our church as well. In Acts chapter 1, we really see the birth of the New Testament church. The main character of the book of Acts, I believe, is really the Holy Spirit, along with Peter and Paul. And the author of the book of Acts is the Gentile physician Luke, who also authored the third gospel. He was a companion of Paul and accompanied Paul on portions of both his second and third missionary journeys. And according to 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke faithfully stayed by Paul's side to the end when others had deserted him. In reality, the book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospels of sorts. It covers a history or beginning of Christianity, beginning with the ascension of Jesus Christ to the end of Paul's two-year imprisonment in Rome. It kind of covers a period of approximately 30 to 32 years. And Luke's purpose in writing this exciting book is to show how Christianity spread throughout the Roman world through the help of the Holy Spirit. And can I just say this morning, as we start this process of going through the book of Acts, what really empowered the, the early church is the same thing that ought to be empowering us today, and that's the Holy Spirit. We see across the country, we see all over the nation, churches that are doing things in the flesh. Uh, and we see the evidence in very many ways. Oftentimes we see it uh, uh, unfolding as, as churches are splitting. More evidence of we're going to operate in the flesh and do things the way we want to do them. And when man doesn't get his way, Katie, bar the door. I'm going to do it my way or the highway. And we see that what happens as a result of that is that churches are splitting up. Doors are closing. We need to get back to where the Holy Spirit is leading us, guiding us, directing us. And in this church, we need to see that as well. So as we move beyond the basic introduction of the book, I want to draw attention to a few words and phrases. But before we do that, if you would follow along as I begin reading verses 1 through 3, Acts chapter 1. It says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at this book, as we begin its study today, I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts, Lord, to, Lord, to see the principles of the early church that you would have us to instill in this church today. And I pray, God, that as we realize it's not just about a building, it's not about the walls, it's not about the location, it's about a body of believers who have confessed their faith in you, Lord, and, and have followed you in believe, uh, believers' baptism and have been added to the body of Christ. Lord, the church, the called out ones, Lord, may we be a picture of that which is in a walking in obedience to you, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I said, I want to draw attention to a few key words and phrases as we kind of just lay a little bit of an introduction this morning uh, concerning the book of Acts. Well, first of all, you see right away in verse 1, it says, I wrote the first narrative. Uh, the first narrative really is a statement that refers to the Gospel of Luke. Luke had the privilege of being an eyewitness to the things that were taking place and written of in the book of Acts. And so as he continues what he is seeing, what he is, 
what he's observing with his own eyes. The first narrative, the first set of writings, really, uh, this is a continuation of that. And then he addresses this Theophilus. And uh, you may have wondered from time to time as you've read through the book of Acts, who is Theophilus? Uh, you don't really read about him in too many places. In fact, it's only in one other place that you read about it. And it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. He said, It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. In fact, the word Theophilus, or as you might think, the name Theophilus, is only mentioned a couple times in all of the Bible. It's uh, quite honestly, Theophilus uh, is not really a name of a person. Uh, the term Theophilus was more of a title than a name. Uh, it was often used to address governors and Roman officials. So whoever this Theophilus was, we don't know his real name, but we know that he must have been, by the very title Theophilus, either a Roman official, he was a governor of some sort, he was some, somebody who was in a position uh, most likely of authority, somebody who was recognized by the public around him. So we don't know much about this person, this Theophilus. Uh, so oftentimes we might wonder, why is he directing it to him? Well, according to one commentary, this Theophilus either may have been a Christian Luke was instructing, or a pagan he was trying to persuade. We don't know. But for whatever reason, it was directed. And he was telling them, this is a continuation of what I've already written, of what we already have disclosed as far as what we have witnessed, as far as being a follower of Jesus. And then he goes on to say here, uh, about all the facts, or about all the acts that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. About all that Jesus began to do and teach. And it's interesting, remember a couple weeks ago I gave you a little bit of a Greek lesson. And this word began is another interesting word in the Greek language. Uh, it is the um, aorist infinitive active. In other words, there was a starting point that Jesus Christ came down and he started something and put it into process. He put it into action. But the way that this Greek word unfolds, it's an action that was started but has never, yes, stopped. It has never stopped. You say, well, how is that possible? Jesus Christ, we know, was taken up and ascended into heaven. How could his work still be going on? You know how it still goes on? Through his disciples. Through the followers of Jesus Christ who are still living out and walking in obedience to the things that he began to do and teach into his disciples. And you see, once again, and this is not really the thrust of the message this morning, but you see the importance of carrying on the teaching and the responsibility of, of what that uh, Jesus Christ has taught us in our lives. Uh, several places throughout Scripture, the responsibility of training and teaching the next generation is made very clear, very evident. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the responsibility to teach all that God was doing and God that God, all that God had done was placed on the responsibility of who? The parents. The parents, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, was to teach the gener their, their children, their children were to teach their children, and their children were to teach their children. It was a process of ongoing teaching generation after generation after generation. You say, well, when did that stop? Never. You say, well, where do you see that in the New Testament? 2 Timothy 2, 
faithful men who are to teach other faithful men who are to teach other faithful men who are to teach other faithful men. When did that stop? Never. You see, God's plan of carrying on the work that he had begun to do was a personal work that was given to us as followers of Christ. And it's only when we don't carry that on that the work ceases and slows down. But thankfully, because of the multitudes, many will carry it on. But the responsibility was given to all of us to go out and carry on the work that Jesus began. And that's why he says in this word began in the Greek language, it had a starting point when Jesus Christ came and he began to teach and to do, and he instructed his disciples and sent them out to go out and win the world, and it continues to go on even though Christ has ascended into heaven. And he does that through you and I, through his disciples, through those who are followers of Christ. So what Jesus started before his ascension is still happening today through the disciples of Christ. And Jesus' redemptive work on the cross was finished, though the work of evangelism is not complete. You say, well, how do I know that? Because in John 17, verse 4, he says this, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus Christ was all about walking in obedience to his Father, and he says, I completed the work that you gave me to do. But the work of evangelism, what he began to teach and to do, still carries on today through all of us. And then he goes on to say in Acts chapter 1, in the second verse there, toward the end of the first, no, second verse here, he says, until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. So we know that he had given orders, he had given commandments, he had exhorted them to carry on this work through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so during the earthly ministry of Jesus, he expressed the necessity of the Holy Spirit. As we said in the beginning, that is something that I think, in all honesty, has been kind of put on the side burner. Depending on and relying on and trusting in the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. You see, we can do things in the flesh because that's how we're trained to operate. You see, every generation is taught to use all your skills, all your abilities. I mean, work hard and you can accomplish that goal. I mean, just train hard and learn more and do better and get those good grades and and you can exceed, and you can go forward, and you can trust in yourself to do what you want to do. But how often do we really sit down and say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to show up. I need you to work in my midst because I can't do it. How often do we get to that place, that place of really dependently trusting on Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to do what you cannot do in and of yourself? How often do we beg the Holy Spirit to work, to show up. And it was during his earthly ministry that Jesus expressed, and that's what he says here in Acts 1 and verse 2, through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they could not do it in and of themselves. And today the Holy Spirit is still the source of power to fulfill God's plans. I want us to look at just a couple of verses. I'm going to bounce around just a little bit here for a few moments. But if you would, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Actually, verse 10. He says, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Where does the life come from? Through the Spirit who lives within us. Want power? 
want life, want boldness, the Holy Spirit has to work in and through us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 4, he says this, My speech and my proclamation were but not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. What was he saying here? As Paul preached and proclaimed the Word of God, he said, I'm not trying to persuade you. I want the Holy Spirit's power to be seen and evident through what is said. The power to do God's work comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit and relying on Him to do what only He can do. In 1 Thessalonians, I know I'm jumping around just a little bit, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, he says this, For the, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. And as a result you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia for the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. What's he saying here? How did this happen? Through the Holy Spirit. And this was the very thing that Jesus Christ was commanding, exhorting his disciples to do as he left them, as he ascended into heaven. You must go on and do the work through the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to give you the power to do what I've asked you to do. You cannot do it in and of yourselves. And I asked you this question this morning. Has that changed? No. We still need the help of the Holy Spirit to do what God has asked us to do. And 1 John chapter 4, another familiar passage you very well aware of. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. As a child of God, as a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And you have the ability and in Acts chapter 1, Luke was reminding them that Jesus was leaving and the same Holy Spirit would be there to give them the power that they needed to fulfill his will for them. They could not do it without. That's why he says, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Through the Holy Spirit. The orders or commands referred to the work or the commission, the job that was given to the apostles just prior to to Christ's ascension. And we know what that is. If you would, once again, just be reminded of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's he saying here? There's a job to do. And there's something that needs to be done, and we need your help, but you need the Holy Spirit to do it. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, a very similar charge. Verse 15, he says this. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new languages, they will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. What's he saying? I'm empowering you to do the work that I've called you to do. And in Luke chapter 24, right at the end of the book, verses 44 and following. Verse 44 says this. Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised as you stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. We know that he ascended right after that. In fact, it says in verse 50, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them, and he was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple complex praising God. And this is where the book of Acts picks up. So I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So this work that he had started, the message that he had taught, the commands that he had been given to carry out the work that was started, he needed the Holy Spirit. And then it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse uh, 2 at the end, the apostles he had chosen. Jesus called them to follow him. He called them to salvation and service. And Jesus heavily invested in these few men. In fact, in John chapter 15, John chapter 15 and verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. So he said, I didn't choose you. You, I, or you didn't choose me. I chose you to go out and to bear fruit and that that fruit should remain. The work was very, very in, incredibly uh, important. So in the beginning here, we understand it's a, it's a continuation of what he had started in Luke, of all the things that, that he had observed, and now he is beginning to proclaim them.